This explains everything. Even you. It does. Baltro! Yes, and what do you do? Every myth and legend you could hope for, including... Robin Hood and his merry men. Some silly story to get them through the day. I. That is an app description. <laughs> Stop <laughs> laughing. Here comes the drums! So here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello and welcome to Pull to Open, an ongoing quest to watch all of Doctor Who in extremely random order. My name's Chris Taylor. And my name's Pete Paschal. Yeah, Chris and I, we are both writers, fans, journalists who have been addicted to Doctor Who probably for decades at this point. Uh, we occasionally write about the show and always, always have lots of things to say about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah never yeah. short of opinions. <laughs> so previously on our random journey uh, of Pull to Open, the, the journey got pretty random, but not mm -hmm. so random as to not be able to, you know, uh, discern any through lines. Uh, well, I, I got some, but we'll save that for later. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we were at uh, the Mysterious Planets, was mm -hmm. was uh, three three shows ago. That was the, the first part of uh, Trial of the Time Lord. Then we went to another Time Lord-based story, The Deadly Assassin, kind of the, the OG Time Lord story. Uh, and then right. we took uh, a, a long step forward, uh, into the Peter Capaldi era, which as long-time listeners of Pull to Open know, is the randomizer's favorite Doctor by far. Uh, huh. And it took us to Smile, his second episode with Bill in uh, in Season 10. And the now here we episode. are, the Emoji Robot episode. And now here we are at another Capaldi robot-based episode, Robot of Sherwood. Series right. 8, Episode 3. And it has so many connections with uh, previous places that we've visited uh in in our doctor who journey and uh we'll we'll get into all of that i think that the tldr on that is uh randomizer really likes robots mm, yeah that's i think and, the simplest randomizer through line here from the last yeah, one it kind of likes slightly crap robots yeah uh, true. yeah well. we, we were at the girl in the fireplace, so you know the clockwork robots, and then we had the emoji robots, and now we've got you know slightly ineffective knight-like robots. Yeah, as robots go, they're probably the least interesting <laughs> of our most recent robot adventures. So, uh, but they, you know, there's there's some coolness here and there with yeah. the little crosses, etc. Um, yeah, definitely connections to other things we've done in the past, like the androids of Tara. But we will get to that. Uh, but first, let's talk about uh, Pull to Open's week on social media and our situation with reviews. Yeah, well, the reviews keep coming in. Um, don't have any queued up to read this week, but please keep them coming. Um, they, we, we, as everyone knows, if you're a podcast, you thrive on reviews. They really are the lifeblood of your show. The more reviews we can get on platforms like Apple, the more the podcast is visible in front of others. So please, please, please take some time to do a review you can pause the playback right now go to the your app leave a one-line review leave a one emoji review it's all good uh yeah, they don't take I'm long. really uh i'm really hoping that after the emoji robots uh more people got the message that we love emoji reviews so mm. yeah well Please especially since favorite. um one of our great fans last time left us some uh sort of emoji brain teasers 
that yes. uh, aligned with uh, titles of Doctor Who episodes. We'd love more of those, please. Uh, but those are fun. But any review you can spare would be great. They really help the show. Uh, five stars is always our favorite kind of review. But honestly, leave whatever you want. Comment how, whatever you want. And we'd, we'd love to read your review out on the podcast. Yeah, I'm uh, sure if you're, what- if you're a true Doctor Who fan, you could probably do every single story in Doctor Who history. You know, based based on emojis, I think you know, uh, take take an Earth, take a you know a, mm, a lots of Earth, uh, an X, uh, <laughs> and then a picture of a child. You know, there you go. That's story number oh. one. An Earthly child. Uh, you know, you you do you do the rest. I mean, uh, Dalek emoji might be a little difficult to come up with, but I'm sure you can do it. Yeah, there's only 299 <laughs> guys, so let's get started. But a quick reminder, um, one of our reviewers of the first 50 reviews will win a prize. This is no joke, guys, and it's going to be a good prize. Uh, we promise you. But yes, uh, if you just leave a review, you, those who have already left a review, you, you're in you're in the pot. And those who have yet to come, hey, you, you've, you've only got, I don't know how many left slots there are left, but they're, they're going fast. So please leave uh, your review soon, and you might have a shot at that prize. And meanwhile, over on TikTok, uh, we we continue our mission to introduce um, many TikTok uh, fans of the Mm. new show to the old show, which seems to be overtly what we're doing in a few instances and uh, getting more followers for it. For sure. Yeah, we have we're actually just blew past 4,500 followers. So we're at 4,500. Thank you so much, everyone on TikTok who's following us liking the videos and leaving comments. It's really, it's been really, really great. We had a great week. Uh, we had a lot of videos from um, the Deadly Assassin post this week. And it, there's there's a, clearly a lot of fascination with the, the Gallifrey-based epics of old. And mm. um, people really responded to the video that we did about the Doctor not being really that well known on Gallifrey when he got there. And it's, which sort it's of so refreshing, yeah. so refreshing for a new Who fan. Yeah, exactly. He's just sort of ordinary, and is kind of, who is this guy with this TARDIS? But also uh, that that they can just get into it. That was really cool. Um, and there was another video we did about how the Deadly Assassin might fit with the new Timeless Child mythos mm. in the new series. Um, yeah. So there was some lot, clearly a lot of interest in thinking about that because um, we have to, right? <laughs> it does stretch the brain, and we do like to do that as Doctor Who fans. We like to take, you know, stuff that uh, was on TV forty years ago and try to mix it with something that was on TV a couple of years ago, and uh, trying to make it all make sense in our heads. Um, and mm. definitely, the Deadly Assassin, a Timeless Child combo is a big one for that, especially as the Master attempts to destroy either has destroyed half of Gallifrey or has destroyed all of it in in both versions. So. Yeah, it's an interesting thing about who history is the the timey wimey ways it links up. Yeah, yeah, we did our best to do that. Um, so go ahead and check out the video. You can listen to the pod, of course, and see the uh, extensive commentary, shall we say? Mm-hmm. And uh, reminder: also, we'll have a prize for our, our ten thousand TikTok followers. So keep sharing out the videos, keep sharing out uh, the channel. It's uh, that's that's some of the best stuff that actually helps when you can sort of organically share a video and someone comes to it, that really boosts the visibility of a video. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, tell your friends far and wide about the TikTok channel too. And this brings us to our new feature of reading out the best TikTok comment of the week. Yeah. Not only are we reading it out on the show, we're also making a TikTok of the best comment of the week. So 
you know, that this should uh, encourage users mm. of TikTok, who I know are normally very reticent about sharing their viewpoints, uh, <laughs> to <laughs> to do so yeah. with us. Uh, so what is our TikTok comment of the week? Yeah. Well, the TikTok comment of the week comes from someone named Agatha's Crusty Fingers. Mm. Nice, uh, nice visual there with that handle. <laughs> so Agatha's Crusty Fingers says, I kind of want a modern crispy master for them to bring back this version, which referring to the sort of skeleton master from the Deadly Assassin, yes. uh, for an episode. This was a cool concept that they just sort of forgot. And it's, you know, it's a simple idea and it actually got me thinking, yeah, that I really would like to see the zombified master done in a modern, uh, with modern special effects and with sort of modern storytelling and this sort of, you know, ever since the classic series was sunset, like zombies are a whole new different phenomenon now. And that kind of sort of horror has been made kind of not quite ordinary, but more palatable, I guess, to a general Uh, audience and i think you could you could do some interesting stuff with it uh by subverting that genre a little bit i'd I'd really like to see that i would love to see that and the the advantage of this being doctor who of course is that we we don't even need to invent a new regeneration of the master we don't need to take the Mm. one version and you know crispify him we don't need to say that it comes chronologically after that we can take the original crispy master the the post delgado version and just you know, have him come back and and menace. You know, uh, maybe the fourteenth Doctor. Maybe this is this is something that RTD could do. Um, but yeah, I think that you know the the one thing that stuck me with me about the version of the Master and Deadly Assassin was was just how how creepy that is. Just basically have a skull with bits of flesh hanging off it, and that that never gets old in terms yeah. of being scary. So yeah, I'd love to totally. see it. Totally. I thought, I thought it was super effective in that episode. And I know they brought back that version of the master one more time only in the keeper of Trocken. And Trocken, yeah. I, I thought the actual Halloween mask version from the deadly assassin worked better, but you can sort of clearly tell it's a mask. So that's kind of why I want to see like modern CGI combined with whatever, you know, onset makeup and, and stuff they would do so that it's, it's like you get the best of both worlds, right. Of, of like a real performance plus, uh, the the all all the you know bringing all the sort of horror movie effects to bear on something like that. Uh, I hadn't even thought of see. adding CGI into the mix. I mean, you could have some wonderful sort of like you could see through the eye sockets the other side. Mm. You know, just make it super creepy. But also, you could explain because as Who fans, we love to uh, <laughs> create our head cannon. We'll be talking about that a lot in the show. Um, <laughs> but you could explain how the crispy master from the Deadly Assassin turns into the not so crispy master from. Uh, Keeper of Traken, right? right. <laughs> There's a challenge for you, RTD. Create a story where the master is like adds slightly more skin to his <laughs> <laughs> to his visage. Uh, that that could be, uh, yeah, that could be a writing challenge for you. By the way, it uh, sounds like we're officially going with Crispy Mas- Master. Yes, <laughs> this I love it. So thank you, Agatha's, Agatha's Crusty yeah. Fingers. <laughs> it's the official uh, name now, the Crispy Master. <laughs> I, w- I want an action figure called that, you know, yeah. just where it has it on the box. Crispy well, Master. It, be- it beats my description of the slimy skeleton, <laughs> which I've actually been probably saying since I was a teenager. Slimy <laughs> skeleton with sausage fingers. Oh, all righty, guys. We're, uh, just also a reminder, we're also on YouTube and we're posting our uh, podcast there weekly. Uh, we're still working on the back catalog, uh, but that's going to come soon. 
And it's just one more place you guys can binge out and uh, celebrate the show with us and uh, leave some comments. Not those, mm. not those notorious YouTube comments. We want the good comments, but uh, so far so good there. Uh, to find us, just uh, search on YouTube for Pull Too Open Podcast, Pull Too Open Doctor Who, something like that. And uh, guaranteed, one of our one of our videos will come up. So check it out. Yeah, if you if you'd like to see how crispy we we look in person uh, <laughs> with our sausage fingers. Uh, hey, I've got a ring light today, so uh, hey, less crispy <laughs> than usual. Looking less crispy. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm often feeling crispy because you know Pete and I are, not, are on different coasts, so uh, it's three hours earlier for me. So were yeah. I not hopped up on coffee, I'd be I'd be pretty crispy this morning. In fact, I I record my half three hours before Chris does. It's remarkable <laughs> how how amazing it syncs up. I'm always yeah. impressed. Someone takes the transcript, they send it to me. I'm basically working with the transcript here. I'm doing a doctor in blink. Genius. Yes. All right, you guys. Love it. Well, wait a minute. Wait, why, why am I not stalling? Hold it. I want to cut to the business and I'm doing I'm doing the thing though, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are doing oh, the thing. No. You're doing the thing that we call TLDW, Too Long Doctor Who. And we've arrived. Watch. And we have arrived at that moment in the okay. show in, at record speed, it would seem. <laughs> it feels um, like it to me. Wow, we're getting good at this, or too good, as I would say, I think, this week, because it is well, up to me. Yes, and, and it was my turn for Smile, and it was an ignominious failure, uh, uh, I, I not- think. I, I I can't I can't be the one to <laughs> join in on your self-flagellation there because wow have I overestimated my abilities to summarize Doctor Who in one minute as well. So it's it is the new series that tends to screw us up because yeah. we think that we've got acres of time. Basically, give ourselves a minute to summarize the show for new series episodes and uh, thirty seconds per old series episode. That often just seems to be. Um, you know, since there was kind of so much padding in the old episodes, it's so much easier when right. we are summarizing classic who, and it's new who that presents the problem. <laughs> Some of uh, those went really. on a long time. Those classic ones, those six <laughs> yes. or seven episodes that, you know, that gives you, gives you a nice buffer on those ones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the next uh, six or seven episode or 10 episode one. Uh, mm. Can't wait till we summarize war games and uh, have a luxurious five minutes to talk about that. Yeah. We're gonna have for, to, we might have to split that one up, right? We'll have to flip it for it or something. Exactly. We'll, we'll, we'll pause that one for a YouTube commercial in the middle. Um, always important to put your YouTube commercials at the most annoying part in any narrative. <laughs> um, but for Robot of Shirtwood, Pete, you, you have one minute okay. to summarize this entire story. You may think it's easy because this is a, you know, quote unquote light episode. It's a comedic episode it's kind of basic in a lot of ways but but you know there there, yeah. there are many many traps lurking to yeah. distract you from summarizing so are you ready i'm i'm as ready as a robot <laughs> laser beam is to bounce off a gold tray <laughs> i was gonna say are you are you fully powered by gold um uh, i might be vulnerable to gold like those old cybermen but uh, we'll see we'll see how it goes <laughs> yeah well uh, we we always uh, you know uh, make sure that we are closing any tabs and we're we're not looking yep. at any summaries nope, of the episode. No uh, Pete, also, memory. I think if you have like a gold wedding band on, I think you should take that off because uh, that <laughs> might be a reminder. Uh, uh, it's <laughs> actually palladium, so uh, I should be all right here. 
All right, all right. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna count you down, and then you've okay. got one minute to summarize Robot of Sherwood. Are you On ready? It. Yes. All right. Three, two, one, go. The Doctor and Clara are in the TARDIS, and the Doctor is giving Clara the option to go where she wants to, and she says she wants to go meet Robin Hood. The Doctor dismisses him as a fable, but they go back to 1190, and they actually encounter Robin Hood. It turns out Robin Hood, storybook Robin Hood, is real, and he's there with his merry men, and there's problems because, oh, the Doctor doesn't believe any of this because it's too hot, and there's a bad sheriff, of course, the Sheriff of Nottingham, who's actually working with robots who have crashed from a spaceship and disguised their ship as a castle. And he's stealing gold from the the countryside to melt it down because for whatever reason, the ship needs gold. So the doctor sort of teams up with uh, Robin and his merry men to to defeat the sheriff and destroy the robots uh, while freeing sort of the slaves or I guess are turning the gold into slag. But the the, 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 the ship takes off and it, it it's going to blow up over Nottingham. So they have to shoot a golden arrow at it to get the gold to critical mass. And then it goes into orbit and blows up. And then the doctor learns that heroes are okay to believe in. And time. Wow. Nice job. Nice <laughs> okay. job. I think you, that may be <laughs> the, the quintessential uh, example of a TLDW. I think you've, you've nailed it. Oh, uh, wow. Congratulations! Uh, insert you. audience thank applause you. here. Oh, someone is about is handing me a trophy. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> oh, no, wait, it's, it's actually the the case for my my headphones. But that's I'll take it. That that'll right. work. That'll work. Golden headphone case <laughs> for you. Oh so. wow! I, um, I I suddenly realized it's it's like the place where I trip up most of the time. As people, as longtime listeners know, is usually about halfway <laughs> to like two thirds of the way through when things get complicated. And yep. I just ignored it all. <laughs> like, all yeah, the same, like, just like, you know, the bickering and the, the back and forth with the sheriff and Clara and all the stuff with, you know, the, the arrow contest, et cetera. I was, was like, going to okay, say, yeah, I get, getting, getting the golden arrow is uh, kind of that, that would that was perhaps the one plot point that I would have added. Mm, um, yeah. But yeah, it turns out you take all of the shenanigans and arrows, splitting arrows, splitting arrows and and the banter. <laughs> Which the doctor deliberately, you know, uh, tries to refute the banter and ends up bantering a lot. Uh, you know, it, there's there's not actually that much here. It it is uh, an episode with a lot of banter. It's banter uh, heavy, that's for sure. Yes, uh, you didn't mention Maid Marian. That's the other thing that I would add. That Maid Marian turns out to be in the sheriff's dungeon. And, yeah. And uh, the the doctor, uh, when when he leaves in the TARDIS at the end. Uh, Maid Marion is just sort of standing there behind the TARDIS. <laughs> Let's start at the end. Yeah, yeah. I, I, which is a weird thing, and it, and it's weird, especially because it, it connects us to school reunion somewhere we've been in the past, where he basically pulls the same trick on Sarah Jane. Right? Oh, right, leaving behind. <laughs> so move in the both TARDIS cases, and, and it might be yeah. it might be different for each. But is it behind the TARDIS or is it is it yeah. in the TARDIS? Because we've seen the TARDIS can dematerialize and leave things or materialize around things. Uh, I took that to mean that she was in the TARDIS, and when they took off, they left her there. But I'm also like like that still oh, invites a host of like what you you rescued her and didn't tell Robin and then yeah. for the surprise, I guess. And what did you tell her exactly? And you brought her into the TARDIS, and, right. and first of all, we missed the opportunity of seeing a "It's bigger on the inside" scene with Maid Marian. <laughs> uh, come on, that—that's worth seeing in Doctor Who history if, if that's what he did. But also, kind of brings up this point of 
The the doctor's a little bit of a uh, I, I don't want to say misandrist, but I mean he he definitely likes bringing the ladies of, on his adventures in the TARDIS <laughs> and turns his nose up and bringing the historical dudes. I mean we were recently at uh, Girl in the Fireplace, right? right, where the doctor's all excited to take this real historical figure, Madame de Pompadour, on adventures in the TARDIS with him. You'd think. That once he discovers that Robin Hood is real, he might mm-hmm. make the same offer to Robin Hood. Why not come along with me, see all of time and space? But no. <laughs> he meets Maiden Marian in the dungeons, gets a kiss on the cheek from her, which he is super excited about, even though this is Capaldi's, you know, no no right. touchy, no huggy doctor. Um yeah, and, this, is, this uh, is early Capaldi too, where yeah. he was full full on no no touch. Yeah. yeah, and apparently at the end uh, we we see that he's uh, brought Maid Marian into the TARDIS. So yeah, the Doctor definitely has a preference for the historical ladies. Oh yeah, bringing them into TARDISes. Yes, and he's yes he's, he's keeping like that. <laughs> you know, again, this isn't an explicit exploration of the Doctor's sexuality, but I, I less so about what he was doing with Marian and more about his bickering with Robin throughout mm-hmm. and, and essentially competing for Clara's affections. Is is you know it's dripping with that. Um, so the the whole made Marion thing. I mean, I, I just to kind of close the book on it. Unfortunately, I, I kind of like this is nothing against the actress. I just found like the the role is so underwritten, mm. and you you're not even invited to know who she is early on. Yeah. That it's it's really forgettable, right? There's these weird payoffs that should. I, I see what sort of the writer who is Mark Gattis, who we can talk about a little more in yeah. a bit. Love you, Mark, but okay. <laughs> um, who we, whose name I forgot on a recent podcast. So uh, yeah. I, I'm feeling apologetic about that, but, but yeah, we have issues. Yeah. So I found, I found that part of it, it just really unmemorable and it's such a weird, uh, you know, it's, it's not since in the forest of the night has a final moment like that, like it's almost a beat for beat, like in the forest of the night, right? Where the, yeah. the little girl is revealed and then, oh, Marion's revealed. It's a happy ending for everyone. Everybody lives, whatever. And it's, but it's also like just as perplexing if you give it one a nanosecond of actual thought, like, wait a minute, she was in there. And then what, what were you doing? Hold on. Yeah, what is this? Robin was in there the whole time and he didn't know that. <laughs> That she was there, and it's just sort of, yeah, it's it's supposed to be a big reveal that we care about when he opens his locket at the end, sees a picture, right. and we're like, hey, that was the girl in the dungeon who kissed the doctor. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's like a lot of elements in this episode, it's sort of uh, glossed over very quickly, and we're perhaps meant to care more more than we do, given the amount of time dedicated to it. Yeah, but I mean, honestly, before we get too far into picking apart why this story mm. sort of fails and, and is wrecked uh, by some of its weird conceits and ambitions, I will say I did enjoy it a lot more the second time around. And there, yeah, there is a lot of fun to be had in this episode. And I, I definitely appreciated not just the dialogue and the humor more, but also like the production values are, are pretty good. I mean, like there's, there's some good uh, choreography with the doctors mm. fighting Robin on the log. Uh, there's great costumes. I mean, I thought uh, Robin hood and Clara in particular, both had uh, incredible costumes and like the colors 
that yeah. everything that this is obviously like they're, they're obviously going for a very storybook palette and it totally it, they pull it off like this is a great looking well-made episode with a lot of good dialogue so there's a lot to like here yeah, the the forest is definitely more convincing than it is in Forest of the Night, uh, <laughs> which is in the same season in which we visited recently, um, uh, and definitely more colourful. And they they almost make a they, they make a plot point out of it. They're like, hang on, you know, this is this is England, and there's no rain. What the hell? Um, yeah, like it's it's, it's not sunnier, overcast. It's it's sunnier and more colourful, which is interesting coming here directly from Smile, which was very colour corrected. Right, we commented on that last week. Yeah. How blue Capaldi's eyes were, how bright uh, Bill's colors were. Uh, so interesting that the randomizer has taken us to another beautiful, brightly colored. Well, it almost wasn't. I actually listened to the commentary on this one, mm-hmm. and the director mentioned that they they got lucky with the weather. Like he's like wherever they filmed it, they just had really nice sun every day. And he talked about how they were they had Mark Gattis even on set and he was ready to rewrite it in case they had, you know, classic English weather. And uh, no, it turned out it was it was perfect and it just lined up with the with the script. So it just goes to show, man, Doctor Who, it's yeah. you know, God loves Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Talk about a God complex. Um, that's <laughs> there's a theory we could get into. Uh, <laughs> Wow, I mean, talk about the, the Doctor as the lonely god. Uh, you know, we, we we've got to have that sort of the thing that Star Trek did a number of times. Of you know, especially in the uh, late unlamented uh, Star Trek Five, uh, where, oh, yeah. where Kirk actually does meet quote unquote God. Uh, mm. yeah. <laughs> Interesting that the Doctor Who's never done that. Uh, he's met many many a don't, mythological figure. Don't give uh, them ideas. <laughs> Seriously. Well. <laughs> Although, if anyone's going to do it, go ahead, RTD. You do it. But, yeah, um, yeah, I trust RTD to do it. Running into historical figures, I'm, I'm sort of shocked. Um, I don't, I don't think I thought about this at the time of the first broadcast, but I'm sort of shocked that this is the first time Doctor Who has taken on Robin Hood, the Legend of right? Robin Hood, in the series at all. They never touched it in the classic series, and it took yeah. until Capaldi, and here in series eight to actually you know why not let's go do it um so it's like all right how did you miss so that? <laughs> before before we get into so i this episode one one of the things i love about doing pull to open is that it sends me down historical rabbit holes and i end up doing mm. a lot of research you know i was a, a historian by training uh and uh i dove deep into the Robin Hood legend for this. So, you know, I, I will bore you all to death with that in a minute. But first of all, we should mention the fact that the the mythology of Robin Hood is very much discussed mm-hmm. in this yeah. story. And there is a scene where Robin is shown by the Doctor. He's, he's on the ship and he's got this, you know, he's uh, showing that, yeah, they do have all of this Earth mythology on board, all this Earth data. And he goes through the historical images of, you know, uh, the figure we know as, as Robin Hood. And there's a brief shot of Patrick Troughton. Yes. As Robin Hood, which is, uh, I didn't know this. Troughton was, was the first, uh, actor to play Robin Hood on, on TV in the early fifties, I think preceding the, uh, American, uh, made show, that we can get into that was kind of a uh, you know very cold war era Mac- uh, <laughs> we don't have to. way for <laughs> mccarthy blacklist fighting version you know and that's the the classic you know right. one with the theme tune but patrick troughton 
played uh, Robin of Sherwood, and uh, he it, this was his most famous role prior to becoming Doctor Who, and it was on screen in 1953. Now, we know that the Doctor can uh, adjust faces to remind himself of things. Right. We know this because of Capaldi. It is specifically a plot point in right. uh, The Girl Who Died, The Woman Who Lived, right? He he reveals that, yes, he, he took the face from the guy he saved from Pompeii. Now, so he if kind he of, can... He's kind of like, it was a bit unconscious, I think. Is yeah. kind of what, like he, he doesn't even know he did it, but yes. But if he can do that, and if we know that the Doctor, uh, in the form of William Hartnell, is on Earth in 1963, uh, okay. 10 years okay. after... The Patrick Troughton, which we now know, so so the Patrick Troughton show is now canon, right? Right was in it a Doctor show Who or history, a movie? it's it was a TV show. It was a TV show, okay? Yeah, uh, just just six episodes because that's how we do it in the UK. But it was six episodes, nineteen fifty three, like right after the coronation, just to bring things to the idiot's lantern, oh, uh, which wow. was a previous Mark Gattis episode that we covered. So right after the coronation, it it was on. It was that early. So let's say that the doctor comes to Earth uh, and he starts studying up on Earth history and he's sort of intrigued by the history of Earth outlaws specifically because he is one. Hmm. And who would not in, in Britain in the late 50s, early 60s? Because, of course, we, we have no idea when when he shows up in Totters Lane, right? Um you know, we just know that he's there with his stolen TARDIS, um, presumably because the Doctor likes history, studying up on Earth history. Maybe he, uh, you know, we, we know from the Deadly Assassin that he likes to watch TV. So maybe he's watching, yep. maybe he's watching the Patrick Troughton show. And maybe he thinks, there's a guy I want to emulate. There's a face I might like to emulate. Maybe when I regenerate, because I'm wearing a bit thin, maybe I'll take <laughs> that face. So I love it. That, yeah, that, how about that, that, that for headcanon? Robin Hood was the first Doctor's favorite show, basically. Yes. And, that- <laughs> yeah. and there is a real Patrick Troughton in the Doctor Who universe, and the Doctor is just right. stealing his face. Oh, wow. This is awesome. Right. I love this. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is now, this has to become canon canon, because it's right? too good. I I yeah. love that idea. I love that idea, and you know, all from a one second shot of Patrick Troughton, uh, mm, you know, with a bow. So, <laughs> right. So yeah, just just a beautiful way to connect it to the history of of Robin Hood. But um, wow, who did Pertwee yeah. play back in the day? Let's uh, keep this going. Right? Right? <laughs> uh, well, remember, it was not a choice. Uh, that the Doctor oh, made. It was, right. it was forced him by the Time that's Lords. Right. Yeah, which is so kind of. In my head, canon. That's why Pertwee and Troughton have such a cantankerous relationship, right? Mm. In, the, in the Three Doctors, it's because Troughton's looking at his future self, and he's like, "Oh, I mm, wouldn't pick that face." Hmm. Interesting. Mm. So it comes all the way around, and then as 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 twelfth face, at least as far as he knows, yeah. he sees the picture again, encounters the real Robin Hood for the first time. That he can remember anyway. Yeah. And uh, it turns out Storybook Robin Hood is real, which is the central conceit yes. of this whole story. And I, I kind of get what Gaddis is going for here. It's like it, once you accept that, you you kind of are on a different plane, even within the plane of Doctor Who, which is already a different plane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of really 
asking, kind of almost begging you to come with him and like, hey, come and have fun with me here. Um, and it would, again, I think, I, I don't know if I wish this story made more sense. I probably do because I tend to be more left-brained about it. But I'm also like, I I acknowledge that's what he's trying to do. Like, let's just have a romp yeah. and like do something uh, weird and ahistorical and illogical just for the fun of it. And, it's definitely played uh, as a romp, but everything Gazis has said about this is that he he wanted the serious element of considering the mythology of the Doctor and the mythology of Robin Hood as somehow very similar, right? right. And that that definitely comes out in the dialogue at the end. Yes, uh, it's kind of blind by line. the yeah yeah. So the the Doctor and Robin actually get to discussing that at the end. I I think he's onto something there, and we'll, we'll sort of talk about the. Uh, the connection to it, but well, yeah, also this the, is uh, the fourth wall breaking, which it kind mm. of does. Which is like, there's a number of times when it happens, but that final line definitely, definitely pushes it over. Where he says, "I'm just as real as you are," um, mm. which is sort of factual, you know, true on a couple of levels, a couple of important levels, and I think it's a good line. Uh, again, I just wish it kind of hit harder. Like I wish the story behind it was was I could get behind more yeah. to really sort of cheer it on. But I, again, I get it. It works on paper and execution, you know, again, kind of not, not as memorable as I think. Uh, well, it's like. very, very interesting to draw a connection between this episode and one that would air several months later, uh, which is last Christmas. Right. right. Which also deals with the doctor dealing with a mm -hmm. mythological figure, Santa Claus, uh, who in that instance turns out not to be real. Right, but there's mm. definitely an element of I'm as real as you are, Doctor, and the Doctor sort of trying to prove that Santa isn't real, which is very much how he starts out here. You know, mm. trying to take hair samples from the Merry Men, yeah. trying to play, take blood samples. There's a joke about you know, just please, please pee into this cup. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, I like lot, my favorite one when he when he pulls out the blood sample from I think it's Alan and Dale. And yeah. says, "Oh, you, if this was real, you'd only have six months to live." And he's like, "But it's yeah. real." <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> it's like, Poor Alan Adale. Yeah, what's he's a hard living guy, I guess. Alan yeah, Adele. seriously, yeah. it's it's always the musicians that die young, you know. It's true. Um, but let's talk about this. This may be my chance to to jump down the rabbit hole of mm. history, but I'm going to do it in, a, in an interesting way, and I'm going to propose to you. The possibility that Robin Hood himself is a Time Lord. Oh man, dude, you just blew my yeah. mind with the Tarot and stuff. Now you're going <laughs> further. All right. Chris because... Taylor, you have the floor. <laughs> if you dig into Robin Hood's history, you find you you can spend ages like searching for the historical Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. Right? And you you get blocked at every turn because there are many, many Robin Hoods. That, that could be candidates for the original historical Robin Hood. Maybe it's also uh, Robin Goodfellow, who was okay. an ancient pagan one, yeah. sort of symbol of the symbol of the forest, kind of a uh, a uh, you know a god of misrule, lord of misrule kind of figure. Um, so it may be connected with that. But also, what you find out in the historical record is there are tons of Robin Hoods, tons of them, mm. because Robin was short for Robert. Uh, Hood was a Surprisingly common last name. Uh, in fact, if you know the name Hudson, uh, that actually literally means son of of Hood. Oh, okay. uh, yeah. So, so you know, it's 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 rendered in the record as Hood or Hod uh, right. or Hud sometimes. 
Like it's all over the place as, as, as spellings and names were. Um, but you, you see them all over and you know, that there's versions of Robin Hood from, uh, the 1190s, which is where the show places him here, mm-hmm. Richard and Lionheart and, uh, you know, King evil King John's reign, which again, another right. reason to, to come here because we did the King's demons. Um, oh, yeah. the other appearance of King John, uh, in, in, uh, in Dr. Who legend. So he's not but actually he's in all this. over the place. It's all the sheriff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not actually in this, uh, which would be uh, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's he's being another crap robot yeah. somewhere else. Um, <laughs> not a crap robot. Just, come on, don't be so hard on Chameleon. Oh, oh chameleon, sorry. I'm but, sorry, Chameleon. Um, yeah, but, uh, so there's a 12th Doctor century Who. Robin Hood. Mm. There's a 14th century Robin Hood in the era of uh, Edward II. There are multiple Robin Hoods in the record. It's such a common name, in fact, that you might compare it to John Smith. Oh, okay. <laughs> As a pseudonym. It's also a name that is just sort of given to outlaws. Right. Which which we know the doctor is. Uh, you know, you might say that uh, being an aristocrat from Gallifrey and having your you know, having your uh people turn against you might be the same as having your castle stolen. Right? Hmm. Yeah. So if there's ever a candidate for a character that is, you know, like uh remember the, the whole uh, bootstrap uh, paradox that the Doctor explains by reference to Beethoven, yep. suggesting that he is Beethoven. There's an ever a character that might actually be the Doctor or another Time Lord. Uh, I think you could look at Robin Hood. And also, we know this about Time Lords. They, they like to appear as monks, mm-hmm. uh, like the meddling monk. They, they the, seem to be drawn. Um, the uh, guy from um, the Planet of Spiders, uh, Choji. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tempo. Yeah, too, too yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. you know, there's definitely a you know a monkish vibe to Time Lords. So, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, the, the original historical Robin Hood stories kind of grew out of attacks on the church, in particular, and sort of talking mm-hmm. how how corrupt the church was. You know, before you even get uh, Friar wow. Tuck is a much much later edition, and you know the early version are all about. You know, there's not even Sheriff of Nottingham in the early versions. So he's godless. That's what you're telling. Yeah, me. <laughs> exactly. He's almost like a god himself. Perhaps. So I love this idea that Robin Hood could either be a Time Lord or like a bunch of Clara splinters throughout history. Oh, just okay. Well, that's random. Popping up whenever needed. They, oh, I see what you mean. So, like, it, rather than being a full-on time lord, he's been yeah. split across yeah. the timeline in places, which we know can happen not just from Clara but from Scaroth. Yes, uh, and you know the Valyard may be a result of that, right? The Watcher and all yeah. of these sort of semi versions of the Doctor that exist. No, I like it. There's a that that sounds like a great story. Right? (laughs) That's what I was thinking. The more I plunged into the historical record of Robin Hood and who he might have been, the more I'm like, this is this is not just a a Doctor Who story. This is an entire series. Yeah. You could do the the doctor, like you could full on like make up for the, you know, fifty some years of not doing Robin Hood Mm. by having an epic season of Doctor Who where He's like this recurring character in various eras, and he's trying. You know, it's almost it's kind of like the Impossible Girl again a bit, but yeah, I think kind of like the Impossible Girl, kind of like me, Ashilda. Yeah. You know, kind of cropping mm-hmm. up in different eras. It doesn't of have history. to be every episode. It's yeah, like yeah, 
I, I the overall season arc. arc. Yeah. yeah. They, it would be a great one. And uh, it's it's also interesting as a kind of meta-commentary, because the thing you learn when you dive into the history of Robin Hood is it's, it's kind of less interesting as to whether he was an actual historical figure, because you know you can make the cases for a number of candidates. It's more interesting, the fact that this is a story that has mm. survived and layers have been added over the centuries. And he was sort of, originally he was a yeoman. He was like a working class figure. Okay. And then around about the time of Henry VIII, he starts to get this sort of aristocratic aspect. The right? Robin of Loxley type exactly. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. The Robin of Loxley. By the way, there are two Loxleys in Britain, uh, that both which could be candidates for which Robin Hood is from. One is a suburb of Sheffield. Okay. Just to bring it yeah. back around to modern Doctor Who and not her connection far, to not Sheffield. <laughs> not too far, you know, anywhere in Britain is. Also, but not not to confuse things entirely, but uh, there's there have been Robins from, from Lancashire. Uh, and in fact, yeah. some very, very close to Blackpool, which is where Clara uh-huh. tells us definitively that she is from in Robot of Sherwood. Yeah. So fascinating connections but the the idea basically robin hood is a story that has had layers and layers and layers over the centuries added to it you know new companions quote unquote come in uh yeah. you know friar, friar tuck is one of the latest and and uh, yeah. maid marion is actually one of the latest to arrive in in the legend um well growing up in western canada i yeah the layer of Robin Hood that I, I'm kind of a little bit ashamed to admit I first encountered and where I learned virtually all of the Robin Hood um, story from was a mm-hmm. television show called Rocket Robin Hood. I don't know <laughs> if you've heard of this. I've it, not. It was done by the same company that produced the original Spider-Man cartoon. And wow. it was they, they were so economical back then with animation, they actually shared uh, some animations between the two shows as well as entire storylines. Huh. So there were, there were actually one or two storylines that actually appeared almost identically in uh, Rocket Robin Hood and Spider-Man. But Rocket <laughs> Robin Hood, it, it was one of these shows that uh, it, it sort of, even though it was done by the same company and in sort of the same style as Spider-Man, didn't really age as well or have quite the <laughs> charm of, of that you could go back with spider-man obviously spider-man also a timeless sort of hero character yeah but, with multiple splintered versions right yeah mm. very very they've definitely explored that a lot but mm. the uh rocket robin hood um it's it's kind of funny how much like I guess because it was my first encounter with robin hood i guess like it's funny like thinking like when i, I started watching real robin hood having to translate the sci-fi cartoon version. Wait mm. a minute. So electro quarterstaffs are just quarterstaffs. And it's like, what's a quarterstaff? <laughs> and like guards Working with space with boots and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very, um, very interesting. But it was like, it, it, it's funny how like it just translated perfectly. Yeah. Like, instead of Sherwood Forest, it was like Sherwood Asteroid. Um, That's fabulous. It reminds me there was a comic book series uh, in the early 80s called Camelot 3000. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm familiar. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, that's their first encounter with with the King Arthur legend, right? So they had to kind of work their way back from the science fiction version to mm. kind of like what was what was the medieval version of this? Uh, so that, that's <laughs> that's a perfect version of that. But the reason I'm thinking that sort of in a meta context, Robin Hood is perfect for for Doctor Who, and and a very is very Doctor Who esque is because it is this sort of 
over the centuries, different layers, the stories have been added, different balladeers, you know, it started out as a ballad and then, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it was first written down in like the 17th century. And then, you know, Victorian authors had their crack at him. It's, it's kind of like Doctor Who itself, right? Yeah. You know, people, the show. People, yeah. Reboots. Reboots, yeah. re, you know, different layers added to the legend. Sometimes writers, he's more aristocratic yep. than others. Sometimes he's more of a god than he is in other versions. So it really is just, you know, more perfect than perhaps even Mark Gattis knew as as an analogy for Doctor Who. Yeah, and probably even more so than Santa Claus, even though I'd say that story mm-hmm. works better. It's like mm-hmm. like the way you describe it, the, the richness of both tapestries uh, you kind of want to get these guys together, you know, like it's yeah. kind of one of these inexplicable things and it makes a ton of sense. It's kind of, I sort of, I did, for whatever reason, the analogy that I'm drawing up is when for, this was like 10 years ago, I think there was a lot of clamoring to see the, <laughs> the 24 universe meet the diehard universe, <laughs> which kind of like, you know, you might not think that's the first, but they're very, you know, like the terms of main characters and the, their invulnerability and the things they yep. sort of go up against, like very similar tapestries that you just kind of logically want to think, yeah. of course they'd be sort of in the same universe or at least similarly treated to the point that they would weave together very neatly. Uh, I love that. Yeah. I love that idea. Just just remake Die Hard, but do it with a split screen. <laughs> and a lot of and have that, that sort of twenty four, you know, yeah. clock music coming in. Um, that's fantastic. But yeah, it's kind of annoying that the market has kind of kind of reduced it to to what we get with with Robert of Sherwood, especially yeah. because he very definitively comes down on the side of this is a real character that he really existed, and he really existed as an aristocrat. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is sort of a layer that was was definitely we can we can say this about this the sort of if you go back through the archaeological layers of the Robin Hood legend, he was very definitely for the first few centuries that we have stories about him, he was a yeoman. He was mm-hmm. a working class figure, he was a outlaw, he was a bandit. Uh he wasn't an aristocrat. That only comes along when he sort of gets appropriated by playwrights in London and they sort okay. of start putting on this this posh play version and it's like oh well he has to be an aristocrat who lost his land right and that's kind of when they start writing about him being in the reign of king john right okay. you know and then it becomes kind of a metaphor that that someone like henry the eighth can use because first of all he's he's anti uh cleric he's anti you know sort of the corrupt church which henry the eighth kind of swept away with his mm-hmm. new church um but secondly, he's an aristocrat. He's, you know, he might, you know, he might be on the side of fairness, but also he's sort of, he's beholden to the the true king, right. and he's against well, the false king. Yeah, and that, that I think that narrative really came through in like the Kevin Costner version, which was the yes. most popular version for a long time. And I think a little bit of this is is a little a bit of a reaction to that. Um, but yeah, like the the I remember in that movie. It, it is Robin of Loxley yeah. and he has lands or his father did. And when he comes back home from the crusades, it's everything's gone to shit because of the King. And, and now he's has to be an outlaw. Um, yeah. But I do think for that movie, and if you remember that movie, like Alan Rickman's in it and he, he basically yep. steals every scene he's in. He I do feel does. like the sheriff of Nottingham here kind of underplays it a bit, mm. maybe to, I think because of that sort of very well-known performance, I think a lot of actors who encounter the, this role 
don't want to do, like basically want to avoid getting in the orbit of Alan Rickman. And yes. because of that, I don't think he's quite as memorable as, say, uh, Tom Riley as Robin Hood. Let me find that. Where's the sheriff? Ben Miller. Ben Miller played the sheriff. Mm. It was good. I mean, I, I really liked his okay. with Clara yeah. it, with the dinner, but he, he he never quite goes beyond a certain range, you know? And it's a little He's weird. He's a standard a issue baddie. He's standard issue bad guy. Yeah. And uh, it's it's interesting that the the one line I remember from the Alan Rickman uh, slash Kevin Costner version um, is uh, Loxley. I'm going to eat your heart out with a spoon. <laughs> um, which is it's interesting. A spoon. That, it's, it's a spoon. A spoon. It's always with the spoon, and that's kind of the only thing I remembered yeah. before we rewatched this. The only thing I remembered about Robert of Show, Robot of Showwood, was the fact that the Doctor fights Robin Hood with with a spoon. Which, by the way, again, we just need a little bit more there. Yes, he pulls out the spoon in the TARDIS, but he's sort of like he's supposed to be eating a dessert or something. We don't see the dessert. Yeah, it's just kind of weird. Well, it's also like I mean, it's some throwaway line about it being dwarf star alloy or something because it's like, mm. why wouldn't the sword just chop right through it if it's a real sword, right? Like, or yeah. uh, again, y- once you start complaining about the things, and maybe we should just list them off and get all the absurdities <laughs> out of the way once we're done here. But you know, you you kind of feel like, well, that's not the point, and I feel bad for even doing it. Um, mm. Again. I love the choreography. I love what's going on there character wise. It's just like, wait a minute. Like I, 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 when you watch this the first time, you're really, this is the first bit that really takes you out of it. Right. Like beyond Mm. just like him being Robin hood storybook, Robin hood, you're like, okay, wait a minute. Now he's fighting him with a spoon. And you, you really, this is kind of, I think this is the decision point as a viewer, you know, like if it's, you're basically like either I'm going Mm -hmm. with it or I'm like, "I, I can't, I can't go with you on this guys. It's just too silly. Um, so if you do decide and force yourself as I did this time to make the former choice, which is like, okay, I'm going with it. You you have a great time. Otherwise <laughs> yeah. you're just like, come on, man, this is, this is, this is totally silly. And the doctor even comments on that as another fourth wall breaking moment in the arrow contest, which at least they explain. Yes. Um, but it's the like, doctor this is, is getting has silly. basically used a homing device. The, yeah. the doctor cheats. Rule number one, the doctor cheats uh, <laughs> in arrow-based contests. But it's interesting. You mentioned the Kevin Costner movie, yeah. uh, which, by the way, is, is another example of you know the, the layering of the Doctor Who legend. A relatively recent addition to the Doctor Who legend is uh, the, the figures played by Morgan Freeman in that movie. Uh, you oh, know, a, a, that's a good parallel. A, I like a that. A Moorish character who's sort of... Uh, yeah. He's called Azim in the film. That that's a twentieth century addition to the Legend of Doctor of, mm-hmm. of Legend of Doctor Who. Legend of Robin Hood is uh, the appearance of a a Muslim or Moorish character. Well, and also um, for a different style, of course, but to comedic effect in both yes. places, right? Because the Doctor and uh, uh, Robin Hood bickering is probably the highlight uh, for yes. comedy. And I remember back in that movie, there were this because Azim is so the straight man. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of sort of frustration with his ways of helping when he feels like it <laughs> and various other things that leads to, to moments of comedy. Uh, yes. But speaking of moments of comedy, the one version of Robin Hood that, that Robert O'Sherwood most reminds me of is uh, not Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, the Kevin Costner version, but Robin Hood, Men in Tights, <laughs> the Mel Brooks version. Yep. Especially because, the, so that's the version of Robin Hood in there is played by Carrie... El- Elwes, Sorry, Elwes, um, yeah. El- 
Elmays, uh, yeah. who famously um, from The Princess Bride. Indeed. Um, and he he plays a very smarmy Robin Hood. Uh, the, the one line I remember from that film is like, unlike some Robin Hoods, I have an English accent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, I dig at Kevin Costner, yeah. which watching that as a Brit, by the way, watching the Kevin Costner movie, in 1990 or whenever that was released right i was like first of all they suddenly have gone from the the southern coast to hadrian's wall which is mm. up near where i lived like in, in a matter of scenes like the next walk along hadrian's wall is mm. quite a leap time jump um, I mean, <laughs> exactly i get it i get it uh, but also, it was like they never explain why Costner has an American accent. And it's yeah, just super freaking weird. Uh, again, like I, I, I don't hate the movie. I, I think a lot of people mm. do, and it's I, I understand why. But I'm also like, they made some choices, went with them, and as a sort of an action sort of yarn, I think it's fine. Um, mm. I think, uh, I guess, here's my question, Chris: Did mm-hmm. would you want him to have tried? A British accent, Kevin Costner. I mean, <laughs> would that have been really a good idea? I mean, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think. So. I think it's fine that he was more surfer dude, Robin Hood. Yeah, and, given uh, given that the the latest version of Robin Hood, uh, where we have him uh, played by oh god, what's the Australian guy? Uh, oh, uh, Russell Crowe. Oh, or, yes, no. Russell Crowe. He's played yeah, okay. by Russell Crowe in the Ridley Scott movie Robin Hood. And he does attempt an English accent in that, and yeah, he does an okay one. Uh, but it's also, it's like, what guys? Why not just? Why is the only English Robin Hood in in the movies? Like you know, the the well, comedic version. Who was the guy? There was one version. It was very gritty. God, I can't even remember his name. He played Horatio Hornblower. Do you do you know who I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know the the guy. He was also in Fantastic Four. Yeah, um, he kind of hasn't been in a ton of um, popular stuff lately. So that's why mm-hmm. I. Uh, it's like oh, Ian Grofed or Ion. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's a weird spelling. I O N. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it he he Ion. was yeah. um, he played Robin Hood. I think in the early 2000s, if I recall correctly. Mm. Um, and that was like one of the, when everything was like Jason Bourne, it's gotta be real. It's gotta be like, you know, yeah. hypercut action and dark you know, pretty. Yeah. Lots yeah. of dirt and blood. And this is, you know, the thuggish Robin hood, I think was kind of the idea there, but I don't know. I, I, know, I saw 20 minutes of the movie. Okay. <laughs> speaking of versions, but before we, we get to the men in tights version, um, that there was a, uh, TV show, Robin of Sherwood, um, in and yes. on Britain in the mid eighties, and it went up against Doctor Who in the schedules. In, yeah, in the TV schedule, I was reading that, and I believe it was up against Doctor Who in in that disastrous Trial of a Time Lord season that we visited recently. Wow, you had to choose between your British uh, yeah. heroes there, your British legends. Well, just think if they'd put so, a Sherlock yeah. Holmes on, on ITV or something <laughs> as well. I'm like boom. <laughs> How could you choose somewhere else? I mean, anyway, how how could you choose between the outlaws and smarmy smart people? Who you know? Who who do you get? Um, but yeah, so that's another interesting reason for the randomizer to bring us here. But so, yeah, they they so the Robin Hood in this is a guy named uh, Tom Riley. He's he's pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty I good Robin him. Hood. But he's definitely playing it close to the the comedy, you know, Men yeah. in Tights version. Especially from that first scene where he talks about, yeah. I laugh, and there's a, a mm. lot of laughing, and he's really leaning into it. 
Um, yeah. To the point where I think you, where you're going with that is that it's hard to take him seriously when he does need mm-hmm. to sort of have serious lines and imply yeah. real peril with him or Marion or whatever. So, yeah, it's an issue. I liked him. I think Tom Riley, in terms of the challenge that he walked into here, um, really rose to the occasion. Like, particularly, if you think about this, right? Like, he's coming in. He's got to be the rival to the lead of the show. And mm. he's aided a little bit, right? Um, because Capaldi is new at this point. Like, as a viewer, yes. at this at this point in the series, you're not even sure if you like Capaldi, I think. Because he was played so deliberately unlikable for mm. the first little bit of his run. So that works. So he comes into this situation with a weird script and makes a choice and goes with it. And I think, you know, he did the best he could. And I think to go with the comedy, uh, you, he, he made the right choice. Cause those are the best scenes. Like yes. and the, 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 the thing in the dungeon in particular, mm. like the, all the bickering, I mean, it's, it's, it comes right up to the point where, you know, like, you you would you, it's so absurd they would never say that you know but it never quite crosses it in that sense you know there's abs- the story's absurd in a lot of other ways but in terms of the bickering like for some reason i bought it i laughed at it and i was right there yeah. with it i thought it was really really funny i think the reason that the bickering in the dungeon works and not necessarily some of the other scenes between the, the doctor and robin hood is that that clara's there as well and you know that the reveal of that scene is that someone's listening in to figure out who we're going to interrogate right and mm-hmm. they 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 take clara away because it's obvious that she's the leader because <laughs> she's, the, she's the one she's the smartest <laughs> among them and i think that scenes work because the disappointment that clara has the eye rolling that she's doing that two of her heroes are here in the same room <laughs> and they're just useless <laughs> and she's trying to get keep them on track but they just keep trying to score points off each other um so yeah, I think the three of them together, it makes for a, a wonderful sort of classic comedy moment, kind of a buddy comedy, you know, where they're, they're really, the subtext is they're really fighting over the girl. Yeah. Right? Well, I will say I, I, I like Jenna Coleman throughout this episode, probably more than I usually like her. And she, this is sort of part of the through line for the randomizer for me, because we just came from mm-hmm. Smile, where yeah. Bill has a great companion episode, if you will, with in that uh, Mm. adventure. And she's very wide eyed. She's new. um, And she's looking to have a a great time as only the doctor can provide by revealing all of time and space to her. This similar thing here, it's it, even though Clara has been traveling with the doctor for a while and has seen some stuff, mostly with Matt Smith, this, it feels a bit like a reboot for her in some ways, because she's Mm. given that almost identical opportunity. Where do you want to go? And she picks her thing and she gets her wish and she yeah. is doe eyed, wide eyed, her eyes, those big Jenna Coleman eyes as she looks into Robin Hood's <laughs> eyes. I mean, I am surprised he doesn't just get a Marion. Yeah, no, no, never mind. No, no, no. We don't. I don't. Who's Mary? I don't know who she is. Yeah, right. let's, let's you and I, uh, <laughs> hang out. Yeah. yeah made who? <laughs> made Clara works for me. Yeah. So I mean, you, you got to wonder why there isn't more of a sense that, that Clara might stay. Like if this is, yeah. her, you know, this, this could be her moment. Like if you would pick a, pick a time for Clara to leave the TARDIS, uh, you know, and perhaps she would have been better off staying in 1190 right. with the Merry Man. Well, I also um, kind of like, now that I've sort of uh, said all that out loud, I think about mm. like what, 
kind of interesting story it would be if like the the, the timelines altered because she becomes made Marion, right? And then yeah. so or then maybe yeah. she just ends up being you know surprisingly accurate likenesses of her appear in history books or in storybooks a, rather. Later. Yeah, a bootstrap par- bootstrap paradox, but for Clara, like if if they sort of end that episode and it's like uh you know well, wait where's maid marion and you know it's sort of we're, we're sort of realizing that that marion is not in the picture anywhere and clara's like well uh, I, I might as well <laughs> take on the role oh, oh no guess i'm gonna to hook up with this <laughs> dashing yeah. historical figure <laughs> yep exactly <laughs> I, I, I put the stress on i look fabulous in it uh she doesn't have a whole lot of agency in this. I mean, she is sort of unmasked sure. as kind of the, the leader, but I'm, I'm thinking particularly of the, the spoon fight at the beginning. Like she just sort of kind of staying a very respectful distance away and, you know, <laughs> is a very sort of damsel in distress moment for her. It was kind of unusual for Clara. Um, yeah. You know, sort she, of being thought over more. almost, even though that's not yeah. why they're fighting. Um, yeah. She doesn't do a lot. She kind of has some good moments after she's taken out of the dungeon with the sheriff um, but then she basically gets thrown out of a window with Robin Hood and is just essentially along for the ride, right? And she mm. comes back and it's a neat little mo- neat little moment where the doctor realizes that he was completely wrong about Robin Hood and mm. you know, is aghast and says, Oh, he's a legend. And then he calls up from the rafters, Oh, you flatter me, sir, or something mm-hmm. the line is. But then he comes down in that uh, you know, classic Errol Flynn fashion with the dagger yep. in the tapestry, which can I just say again, I, I think I need to list off all the absurdities, but this one, like, <laughs> like it's just physically absurd. Like not just that it, it would cut that slowly, but like the way he's positioned, like he'd have to have a bicep 10 times the size of little John's for him to like <laughs> stay in that pose all the way down with Clara, Clara on his back. Like, yeah, just, just impossible. Yeah, they they definitely play last fast and loose with uh, physics and science in general in a lot of ways. Like using gold uh, is uh, is a bit okay. is a bit hand wavy and firing a golden arrow into the <laughs> engines. Like give give it a bit of a boost by firing a single golden arrow into. Yeah, the, you know, well, I'll, yeah. I'll again. I I will um, give the director some credit here because he got a lot of things right but he did send say in the commentary that he'd wished it, the arrow actually had gone into the ship and that it wasn't mm. just hitting it on the outside which was totally ridiculous also like why did the ship have to leave right then and there anyway if they didn't have enough gold like they keep saying they're not yeah. at 100 percent. like what's the rush like why are, yeah. why are you going like there's actually a, a bunch of those trays, which were apparently gold, still lying around out of that basement. So, <laughs> yeah, just d- send a few robots yeah. to pick them up. Scrub the launch. I mean, like you could, <laughs> and and let's just put some more stuff in the vat there, and maybe the guy's hands, who were now gold covered, will get that back, and then you're 100 yeah. uh, guys. You don't need that yeah, gold the, arrow. The sheriff himself could be a part of the fuel. Uh, do you, do you think it was clear enough, by the way, that the sheriff was a robot? No, spoiler alert. I actually had to, I didn't get it at all. And I, I had mm-hmm. to read a plot summary and like, cause mm. there's like one line and I didn't, it sailed right past me where he says it's like half machine or half engine. I think yes. when he's, when he's uh, fighting with Robin on the rafters, it's more machine now than man. But I mean, like um, if you're going to do that, if you're going to in the story, go to the trouble of writing this guy as a cyborg, like show him doing something cyborgy. Like, yeah. you know, like how does it add to the story at all? 
So they were hampered by news events, uh, as as we often are in the journalism trade and the entertainment business. Right. Uh, news events conspired, and there was a scene where the sheriff is beheaded, mm-hmm. and makes it clear that uh, you know that the sheriff is a robot. They filmed this scene. And then they pulled it because this was right around the time that ISIS was active. Right. And they were, you know, beheading people in YouTube videos. Yeah. And uh, the BBC decided to be too insensitive to have a robot sheriff of Nottingham beheaded in an episode of Doctor Who. So we so we might have had Nardole a couple seasons early, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it would have just made that a little bit more clear. It's just one of those things, as they say. Like, you kind of need to do it. Uh, But yeah, like, I mean, I wish there there had been... A little more there. Well, I mean, the, the the losing the head thing is one thing, but is it is it is there any abilities he could have had? Like, what they could have done, right? And this this they they might not have just thought of this in time. But remember, Robin cuts one of those rope things, another trope of uh, all these mm. types of adventures and holds right. on to the rope and yep, yep. counterweight, make sure he, he could go up. It would have been cool rather than cutting another rope. The sheriff just jumps, you know, mm. like he just has uses his like, you know, his Steve Austin legs and <laughs> boom, he's up there. Yes. Or the other robots gather around him, maybe if they've been allowed to talk, and they, they say, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. Uh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there's the, the silly... We mentioned the, the the spoon, the arrow contest, the gold, which I, I feel like we haven't harped on enough. I mean, the idea, whole mm-hmm. idea of like... Uh, well, here's the thing. I, I want to give this some credit first, which is that the idea of the Sheriff of Nottingham getting mm. gold but not for riches for scientific purposes is yeah. good i like yeah. that uh it's just when the reveal is that the ship is powered by gold or like and there's these absurdly mm. big circuit board things which is like why would anything need to be that big that that uh, you know at least at least they don't show people lifting it but they what one of the things they they seem to forget uh is that gold is really heavy right like so yeah. admittedly those are robots but they never, they never show that, play into it, and the 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 big sort of gotcha I'll throw on this is that while a gold arrow, assuming it is like more than just the, the outer layer, would be so heavy, like there, yeah. there's no way it could ever reach a, a spaceship. Um, again, <sighs> I, I feel like I need, I've had the need to throw a lot of nitpicking out all at once before I, I explode, but there's just so much <laughs> of it in this episode, it's hard to know where to start. Yeah, and that that firing at the arrow at the end, you know, yes, it's a nice idea in theory that the Doctor and Robin and Clara all have to pull together to 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 fire that final arrow, but uh, could they really send it that high? It's just mm. a ridiculous height for for a longbow, yeah. and I don't mean to be be too humorous about that, um, you know, because of course it is, it's a romp. And all that, but th- there's a way to do this and make it more scientific, right? You know, gold is definitely a metal that is used in mm-hmm. circuitry and right. and computers. It's you know we were well aware in this era of supply chain issues that uh, gold is is much needed. Um, you know, you don't necessarily need to make it the fuel. Yeah, yeah. As well, you don't need to go that unscientific. You just make it. You know, the the, the ship needs to be fixed, and they need to get gold. And maybe, maybe they've uh, gone haywire, a la the Madame de Pompadour robots. Right. Um, you they know, just think you're they taking need it, gold. 
Yeah, they think they need gold. They're taking it too literally. So, so that could be an interesting way to do this. Um, Though it's it's interesting that they, sort of example they tried to shoehorn in a reference to the arc plot of the season, which is the promised land that is mm. uh, along. You know, it was Missy's whole plot and uh, everything we talked about in Dark Water, Death in Heaven. Um, yeah. But it's it that's never clear. Like, why are these robots seeking the promised land and? If that is their goal, well, hmm. they're, uh, we're about to get to the part where the evil plot succeeded. Well, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it did. You got to the promised yeah. land, guys. <laughs> I don't know. So how many episodes of the season, I can't even remember how many episodes had what you had at the end of Deep Breath, where you cut to the the promised land and the the dead character is is there with yeah. either Missy or the uh, you know one of her underlings. I don't think I think it happened less often than I remember. You know, I think it mm-hmm. actually only happened a couple of times, um, and I think there were other hints like this one throughout. But someone out there has to let me know. Obviously, there's the one in Deep Breath. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm actually stumped on sort of trying to think of one from memory. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it obviously it recurs, but yeah, why why not show it in all of them? Why not why not show those those robots or the sheriff himself? I kind of I kind of thought because yeah. I didn't remember how this how this one episode uh, ended, and I was kind of assuming that we were going to get a scene where the sheriff wakes up in the promised land. Right, it, it would have been a perfect because it's his ending feels a little bit too quick. Yeah, and you know we're sort of trained by movies and and TV plots to expect that the villain will come back somehow in an unexpected way. And it wouldn't have been that too soon because we did it in Deep Breath, but between this one and that one, there was Into the Dalek. Into the Dalek, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't think there was one in that one. So yeah, I mean, you know, if this is going to be your thing, like you know, show us. So, like, yeah. yeah, lean into it. Yeah, yeah, and you, I'd love to see an encounter between the Sheriff of Nottingham and Missy. I mean, come on, how great would that be? It would have been good to sort of bring him back and maybe give him, let him be a little crazier in the the finale. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We exactly. Had, we still had our uh, I forget the guy's name, the guy who was the guy in hell who got to squee. <laughs> oh yes, permission to squee. So yeah. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in his space. Um, but speaking of the evil plot succeeding, so one, yes. I mean, if you presume that that is their plan, that is. Uh, you know, it, it happens, but let's really think about it. What, what if the evil plot had succeeded in this case? What is the evil plot? Which is, I guess, the sheriff's plot of ruling the world, which if the doctor's right and they don't get the golden arrow where it needs to go, that's not going to work and the ship's going to explode in too close to, to England and wipe out half of, half of England. Yeah, did, or didn't he say half of the world at one point? Uh, maybe I don't know. I I just don't think I can't. Again, there's a lot here that's not credible, <laughs> but I can't yeah. credibly believe that ship would blow up half the world. Uh, maybe, but uh, if it did, if it was that big, I mean, I don't think it got high enough. So yeah. So well, okay. Let's say it's half of England, and then then you kind of have a Black Death scenario a, a mm. couple of centuries early, right? Which would be interesting, you know, because we're we're told by historians that. The fact that the Black Death basically wiped out a third of the population of Europe um, and led to uh, the Renaissance in a lot of ways, or at least led to a world where, you know, the, the workers had the power mm-hmm. uh, because there were fewer of them 
and you know sort of overhauled the economy in their favor interesting and uh so so maybe that would have happened earlier and therefore maybe england would end up being more advanced in the modern era than it actually is Um, i kind of went went to a similar place because i was thinking about it more as like what happened to the characters so obviously everyone dies except the doctor who regenerates Mm. so we get Mm. Whitaker in um 12th century england and i thought maybe she would set about sort of righting the wrong uh trying to help rebuild england into something close to her memory and sort Mm. of inadvertently becoming kind of a prince john figure or well actually inadvertently becoming a robin hood figure because of course she has a hoodie (laughs) (laughs) well boom guys it's obvious there you go it's, it's it writes itself, um, <laughs> but also I would say, I would make a slight amendment to that, which is if King John is chameleon at this point, maybe Ooh. maybe he's more likely to survive the explosion, right? Because he's off somewhere. I forget the Lord's yeah. name, so maybe he's all and right. You know who else we have to think about is the first Doctor, who is here on the planet uh, in the Crusades. With oh, Richard of Lionheart. So you have to consider whether whether he would survive this explosion. If he does, you know, he, he would definitely see it all the way there in the Holy Land, right? He'd, he'd see this massive explosion that destroys half England. He's like, hang on, King Richard, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe step into my TARDIS. Let's go back. Well, he can't so see the TARDIS, though. Yeah, yeah well, that's true. Boat. They'd bring the TARDIS <laughs> in a boat. Here we go. Yeah. But then so, she I love up, this. She, she connects with Whitaker. Yeah. And it becomes a multi-doctor adventure to yeah. fix fix this this thing that happened and maybe bring Clara this, back. This time is out of joint. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got this wonderful multi-doctor adventure, Hartnell and Whitaker, plus Richard the Lionheart, plus Chameleon playing King John. I mean, there's so many directions that I could go in. So yeah, wow. I, I find myself wishing the evil plot had succeeded here. Yeah. This is like the, the the second epic, second or third epic we've we've come up with on this one. I like this. This is a good pod. Um, wow, that's a pretty cool evil plot succeeding scenario. So seriously, um, other question that we always like to tackle in every story mm. we look at is where is Clara and not the <laughs> character who's right there mm. throughout the episode, <laughs> the splinter She's right version. There. You didn't see her. She's in this episode. <laughs> oh, I saw her. <laughs> Just as much, just as Robin saw her. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, but where's the Clara Splinter? Like, assuming, of course, it works the way we think, and then she goes throughout the Doctor's timeline and not just to sort of his previous adventures prior to the Trenzalore stuff. Um, yeah, where would she be? Interesting question. Did you have an idea? Well, we we often use this to uh, to fill in plot holes, mm. uh, and to my mind, the, the Golden Arrow thing is the biggest plot hole here. So maybe she sneaks in. Maybe she is, you know, a 12th century Clara who was, you know, just born there. And uh, she, but she knows that what she has to do is sneak into the camp when they're passing that golden arrow around. This mm. is a very interesting scene where they're passing the arrow around. Yeah. Everyone gets a turn Check with it. it. <laughs> you know, maybe Can she. you give it back, could... sir? Give what back? <laughs> <laughs> maybe she could sneak in and sort of add some circuitry or something to that golden arrow so that it will actually fly uh, a distance. <laughs> if I even just sprouted and, wings. 
yeah. <laughs> it was like <laughs> sailing up and it just starts flapping up to the up to the ship. That's a good one. Um, yeah. I don't know how you would modify it in such a way other than do the doctor's cheat thing again. So maybe that's what she did. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. thinking like she made sure that everyone in the immediate era area had a gold tray <laughs> and then polished the crap out of all of those gold trays. So they were super reflective before yeah. they were stolen by by the sheriff. So when there's the, the revolt of the slaves in the gulag or whatever mm. it is, the slag pits yeah, under the, the, dungeon. Yeah. In the dungeon there, that they all those gold trays are just ready to be laser shields to vaporize all the all the robots. I love it. Yeah. She yeah. she may have even, you know, just lived in the castle before and you know died before this adventure starts to prevent you know that so the timeline prevents two claras from being in the same place at once Hmm. but you know earlier earlier 12th century clara is there polishing those trays ahead of time you know just uh just to make them useful in the (laughs) uh, in the revolt there that'd be be very interesting but speaking of the revolt and the castle and the dungeons we haven't really talked much about the robots themselves oh yeah design of them uh, basically, their their power is they have this sort of purple cross, purple glowing cross on their foreheads, which is kind of okay. I didn't hate it, yeah. but I, I will say, like again, to list off more absurd things, the 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 ability of that laser changes here and there, and mm. <laughs> like every every you know cannon fodder soldier, their aim is very questionable. But there's a point where uh, I think it was Marion's. Uh, uh, I don't know the person she was award for hmm. is in the dungeon with her. I can't. I. I it, but anyway, one someone gets vaporized right. by the robot. Yeah, two two old men get vaporized is to show the because like basically, yeah, yeah, well, there's one, one of the big dies. He gets killed in yeah. the first scene. Okay, yeah. Then there's yeah. another one. So like all the all the old men that she's around, yeah, get killed. Okay, yeah, it was a different person. I don't know. There's too many characters now, but um. The guy you always have to have that that poor hapless character who shows the peril involved yeah. in this by by dying, and then but the, then they also shoot these more like one shot you know bullet like laser projectiles. Mm. So I guess they could theoretically do both, but like pick one, guys. I always get annoyed at like yeah. energy weapons that aren't consistent. Yeah, like like the stasis. Yeah. Previously I mean, I gotta say, credit to Star Trek, which obviously is a different thing, and they the consistency is kind of their brand. But they, the, mm. the the phasers generally do two things: you know, stun and kill. And yeah. they're a little inconsistent on the kill setting, uh, but they, you know, they they tend to be they tend to have thought about this in terms of how phasers work, at least more. So often. speaking. Speaking of uh, Maid Marian and Clara and the, the ability of Clara to sort of step in and bootstrap paradox, that the whole Maid Marian thing, that uh, I did just want to also mention that uh, it seems that Marian is is one of the latest additions to the legend. I think I mentioned that briefly. Yep. Um, she was it, it was actually a, a there was a French legend uh, of Robin and Marian that that seems to predate the English uh, Robin legends. Oh. Um, it seems to have just been an entirely different Robin. Okay. But just at a certain point, uh, yeah, so, yeah, and it's it's all about their it's it's some sort of ballad called uh, the the game of Robin and Marion, uh, right. le jeu de Robin and Marion, um, and that may have just been grafted on to the Robin Hood legend at some point, so that that Robin you know gets a gets a love interest. That's, that sounds um, very French. 
<laughs> right, exactly. Different and, planet, and, as the doctor would say. <laughs> indeed. And there was a lot of uh, back and forth between the French and and the English in the, in this era, because of course there were we we owned a bunch of France, and you know, uh, Elna of Aquitaine and all of that. You know, we we had our, our kings spoke French. It was you know, it was much more sure. of a connection in that era. So I like that that being the sort of historical explanation for why Marion appears. But you know, uh, perhaps Clara could realize that. And, uh, you know, figure out that she has to fill in the blanks herself, or she can mm-hmm. fill in the blank herself. And uh, that's another reason for the doctor to leave her there. Which, uh, for all those Clara haters out there, or for all those people who feel that Clara should have stayed in the Matt Smith era and maybe not outstayed her welcome so much in the Capaldi era, you know, this this would be a, a good jumping off point for her. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just as last Christmas was supposed to be, a jumping off point, right? The next appearance of a myth, a myth figure. It could have been one more leaving scene between her and Capaldi. Just think of it, guys. <laughs> we only had seven. <laughs> could have yeah. had eight. Exactly. And then, then Capaldi goes to the Time Lords and pulls her out of time just before all of her leaving scenes, <laughs> creating more Clara splinters. And you know, well. you know, we, we have the adventures of me and multiple Claras. And their diner Tardis. <laughs> oh man, the, the the diner verse into the diner verse. Oh man, I think we've. <laughs> I love it. We've slipped sideways in time too many times here. Um, is that yeah. uh, anything else to talk about? Did you close the book on the robots? Did you want to talk about their design anymore? I, I don't think so. I think it's you know it's a, it's a nice idea, but once again, it's just sort of too too many. There are too many robots in Doctor Who, and I feel like we need to. Um, you know, if the show is ever rebooted, if we ever refilm, you know, the entire canon of classic who hmm. and, and new who, that maybe we can compress the robots, right? Just right. have fewer robot races. I want in, we, in the galaxy. We got to do a special episode at some point, ranking all the robots, or at least the top <laughs> ten, like the top ten robots yeah. in Doctor Who, and why we're top ranking ten. Them and I don't know if these guys make 10. it. Yeah, these would be probably <laughs> in the bottom ten. Um, yeah. Just to get one more pick, I I would just say the the little zapper thing in their foreheads. It looks so perfectly mm. lined up with the slits on the actual external helmet. I don't know why they ever needed to take off those things. Like there's a point yeah. where they unfold and it's like, here I'm a robot, and it's like, okay, <laughs> they, their faces they they do make me you know they they, they look a little classic who. Yeah. Uh, when when you do see their faces, so I kind of like that reveal. Mm. But yeah, in general. <laughs> yeah. not, not kind of worth inventing a whole new robot race for not robots finest hour all righty yeah. sir that's robots of sherwood and i think we're gonna have to go somewhere else very soon how are we, we gonna are. do that we're gonna use the randomizer uh which is composed of two elements we have the codex which is the spreadsheet of all of the doctor who stories which pete has control of and then i have control of the executor which is random.org which uses atmospheric noise rather than computer algorithms to generate random numbers and it is so truly obviously random uh that we have randomly ended up in the capaldi era for like 90 percent of the show it feels like i'm gonna have to like do a uh some stats on how much of capaldi we've actually done out of all of everything we've done it's it's probably going to be an absurd percentage uh, compared to everyone yeah 
definitely the odds on favorite if if you're if you're a betting person in out there in the audience uh, you know we we do need to open a book on which which doctor will we finish first here on pull to open hmm. and it's, it's an entirely <laughs> random contest but gotta say that uh capaldi's in the lead on that but you know what it only takes one paul mcgann that's true you get the whole over. <laughs> All right. So as anyone watching on YouTube knows and can see the reflection of the spreadsheet all over my face, because that's how computers work, as I just yeah. found out in this episode. If you look at a screen, the stuff yeah. on it, everything on the screen is clearly readable on your face. Uh, exactly. I've got the codex open and yeah. ready to ready to activate the executor. Do we want to issue any challenges to the randomizer? That's a question. It seems to ignore um, us quite a bit. I, uh, I it does. So I'm going to issue a a completely hopeless one that it's not going to do. But let's go to Carnival of Monsters because we oh. had a reference here. We had a reference to the miniscope. Yeah, uh, that was in Carnival of Monsters, and and you know, uh, Capaldi makes that nice reference as the most you know, Hoovian fan of of Doctors. You know, appropriately enough, he he was a big fan in the Pertwee era. I bet he loved that line mm. uh, about referencing Carnival of Monsters. So yeah, there's one in nine, a two hundred ninety nine chance. Uh, but I'm feeling yeah, confident. That's a that's a come on, randomizer. You're putting your chips on one number on the roulette <laughs> table here, which is I admire that. I'm going to go with, based on what we were just talking about, let's go see some good robots. Good you know? robots. That could be yeah. uh, my, my most obvious selection would be robots of death, but like, would mm. surprise me. Go ahead. There's lots of robots in Doctor Who. Find, find me some good robots. I've not seen robots of death, so I would, I what? would gladly go. Oh my God, we got to yeah. do it. Let's do it. Right? We'll get it's, there. But um, it's, a, it's a top 20 in many yeah. people's list, I know. Perhaps we'll get there now. Or is the executor Indeed. primed? Uh, almost. Uh, let me <laughs> <laughs> let me fire rub it up. That, okay, rub that. Uh, what's the? Why can't I think of what a genie comes out of? The lamp, <laughs> magic lamp, magic lamp of random. Dot dot. All right, I'm ready. All right, let's do a. We countdown. have minimum of one, maximum two hundred ninety nine. Mm -hmm. uh, let's get into our TARDIS and get away from Sherwood Forest and find out where we end up. So yeah, right, ready. Activate in four, three, two, one. Don't blink. 111. Ooh, here we go. Here we go. Here we, go. we are at State of Decay. Ooh, okay. Wow. Interesting. Okay, I I I'm I feel like I might know why we're here. And really? it has to do with what I have been listening to from Big Finish. So interesting i've been slowly but surely making my way through the eighth doctor adventures on big finish i'm still pretty early i'm uh listening to the charlie pollard stuff and yeah. there is a an adventure uh called zagreus that huh. features uh colin baker it's actually kind of a multi-doctor story so it has began mm -hmm. but it has colin baker sylvester mccoy and peter davison and mm. uh colin baker actually within the the adventure plays kind of a dual role he's not only sort of the sixth doctor but he's also uh a vampire from like Ooh. one of the one of the great vampires from the old time in sort of a flashback it's kind of weird and hard to explain but it's like this hologram the tardis creates so that charlie the companion can kind of find out what's going on with the doctor and mm -hmm. 
he's like this vampire character who uh, infiltrated the high council or it was a high council member who became a vampire. It's a little bit unclear. And he's sort of confronting Rassilon in the story. So it's mm-hmm. kind of interesting to go back. This is one of those, uh, again, the through line here from Deadly Assassin might be a little more obvious in that you, we're getting lots of Time Lord lore compressed mm-hmm. here, right? From uh, Trial of a Time Lord to uh, Deadly Assassin to this. Uh, right. Yeah. Colin Baker, you know, it definitely uh, brings up memories of the Valyard, right? Eh? Yeah. Colin Baker versus a version of, of the Doctor, you know, Doctor, Doctor-esque character. Um, yeah. So yeah. State of Decay, that this is, uh, but this is Tom Baker's last season. It is. And it's, right? it's smack dab in the middle also of the E-Space trilogy. I was just going to say that. Yeah. 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 So, Adric and Romana. Uh, indeed. And it's the le- <laughs> it's the least e-spacey of them all, uh, mm. which is kind of a good thing, you know. Um, <laughs> as I recall, yeah, I haven't seen this one in decades, but I'm really looking forward to it. I remember being uh, it's very creepy. It has uh, sort of some, even though it's past the Hinchcliffe era, it's got some Hinchcliffe vibes to it. Mm. Um, though maybe that might be setting it up for uh, too high expectations there, but uh, there's there's some creepiness going on in this one for sure. That's exciting. I'd I'd, I'd also like to note uh, per your your big finish uh, mention, I would love like a big finish uh, sample platter that includes all the multi doctor adventures. Oh wow, yeah. There's there's a few. There's there are quite a so few, many of them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, including you know uh, Tom Baker and David Tennant in in the same adventure. That's one I'm wanting. Yeah, well, if you're starting at the beginning, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, If you're starting at the beginning, you start you start with Sirens of Time, which uh, Mm. would have that's that's like the first one that they did. It actually comes together quite nicely. Sirens of Time holds up with um, Mm. Davison Baker and McCoy. Oh, interesting. Yeah. No, it's good stuff. Wow. All right, guys. Well, to be continued as we yeah. venture into eSpace. Yeah, we will be encountering good eSpace stuff in a week. Thanks for listening, guys. If you, This is Pull to Open the Podcast. If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do that. Hit that button. Uh, tell your friends to subscribe. Tell your anyone who may have heard of Doctor Who. Please subscribe to us. As always, leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on, Apple especially. Reviews really do matter. They help us get the podcast in more ears, which helps everybody. Um, please leave a review. Uh, five stars is always appreciated, but you know, just leave us whatever you want. Please let us know what you think of what we're doing and uh, you know, nerd out with us if you want. Um, yeah, follow- please. The classic fans of uh, fans of the classic show, especially, you know, we're, we're doing good work out there on TikTok, uh, bringing classic who to new who fans. So please support us in that venture any way you can. Yeah. Follow us on TikTok at pull to open or at Instagram and Twitter. We're putting out stuff there too, both at pull to open 63 and uh, yeah, go ahead, drop us a line. Please have a listen and we'll see you next time for State of Decay. Bye, guys. 